Hello, everyone, and welcome to part three of our Best Books of 2022 podcast. And anyone who's listened to part two will realise that while it was always our intention to talk to Marcus Mack, we, I forgot, basically. So we are now doing that. We're making that right. And we want to talk about the Gaelic Books of the Year and other aspects of Gaelic writing in 2022. But first of all, hello, Marcus. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Uh, it's good to see you. And um, so we did speak about uh, Polaris and a couple of other books on the previous podcast. But what's been your year like uh, in terms of um, in terms of your own writing, but also with other people's and just in general? Yeah, I was thinking about this today. Um, I mean, personally, I've had a fantastic year and I couldn't have asked for a better response to Polaris, you know, and, and, and it's thanks to people like yourself who featured it and... Uh, you know, the various interviews that I've done and the reviews that we've got um, for both me and Peter Burnett and the team at Leamington Books, you know, we couldn't have asked for a better response. So we're absolutely thrilled. Um, And I think, you know, it's been really really great to see that through that book and others, which I'll be talking about today, that we've seen more integration and more inclusion of Gaelic literature um, in a wider literary scene. And so it's been great to be just one person part of that process, as it were, you know, and a lot of people, you know, working together to bring that about. Um, I would say, with the books that I'm going to talk about, and I think perhaps probably with my own writing as well, we've definitely felt the impact of lockdown. I don't think you could ever escape it. Um, And as we saw at the Gallic Literature Awards in, uh, well, they were the Gallic Literature Awards 2021, but they were held this year. Um, celebrating, you know, books from from that time frame. Um, In the unpublished manuscripts in particular, you know, lockdown really did feature as it did the year previously, Um, particularly with, you know, cycles of poems and and short stories, for example, that, you know, did take it as a central theme or that did kind of weave it in in one way or another. Um, And I think for me... as I say, it, it gave me the opportunity to kind of look backwards, look inwards, and to just kind of take advantage of that extended period of quiet, really. Mm. Um, and that's definitely what I've been seeing being interpreted in many different ways with, in, in Gallic literature as well. Um, I confess, you know, my focus is always poetry. I am, I'll admit, I'm a very, very slow prose reader. <laughs> if I read it at all. Um, and so that is reflected in my selections that I've got for you today just because I've got to be authentic to me and, and, and what I read. Sure. Um, but also because there are there have been some really important, I think, um, publications in, in Gallic poetry. Um, and, you know, it's good to bring a bit of balance between the genres as well as we, you know, as, as you'll note yourself, fiction always features really heavily in in these end of year lists that yeah. we talk about, not just yourself, but in the Scotsman and the Snack Magazine that I know that you wrote for yourself. You know, it is always quite often weighted towards um, towards fiction. And whilst Gallic fiction is going from strength to, to strength, thankfully, you know, um, and the Gallic Books Council has done an incredible amount of development work over the last decade to really nurture Gallic fiction. You know, inclusion of Gallic does mean that we can, through that, include more poetry as well into yeah. into the into the into the scene and, and into the kind of uh, 
snapshot that we're giving of, of a Scottish year in books, as it were. So, yes, I've got three poetry titles to talk about. And, uh, yeah, and it's great to be in, in their company with Polaris as well. I think that's, uh, you're absolutely right. And I uh, sometimes talk about, oh, why is the short story underfeatured? Why is, you know, the, whatever it is, and, and poetry as well. And then usually my end of lists are nearly all, because the novel still seems to be king, rightly or wrongly, you know. Um, that's the one that people do uh, often um, go for. And I guess there's all sorts of reasons for that, uh, you know, culturally. But you're right, and I'm so glad to be able to talk to you to kind of get not just Gaelic literature, but another aspect on poetry that maybe other people won't realise is going on. So what's the first first one you want to talk about? Well, I think that we'll start with a, a name that I'm sure will be known to a lot of you. Um, Roddy Gorman published with Clive Bootle, um, with Francis Bootle Limited, um, Lodoc Ile, which is uh, Final Call, it was uh, titled in English. Um, not a direct translation, actually, of Lodoc Ile, or perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't, which I think just kind of sets it up as a volume for what it is and how it plays around with language. But in essence, this was a, a selected poems from Roddy, um, also including new works that were written through lockdown and as part of his tenure, tenure as the um, as Bars to Common Gaelic, so the crowned bard. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know, um, we have our own maca within the Gaelic community, um, and it's uh, a position that's managed by Uncommon Gaelic, which is the organisation that runs the mod and the Royal National Mod every year, and all the local mods as well. Um, and over the they brought it back. Um, a few years ago, and it's been a, a yearly position in contrast to the Scottish Macca, which obviously is three years. Mm-hmm. And Roddy um, was the was the last one, and in October we crowned Peter Mackay. So oh. that's uh, you know, and it's great that you know these these poets um, are given the more attention is brought to them through this kind of uh, position and and, and, it, and it's great. So, um, yeah, so this book from Francis Bootle um, is a, is a, a selected, a selected poems and it's, it also includes um, a, a, a certain amount of new work as well. I think with Roddy, um, for me, that always comes through is firstly, this is a man, if you meet him, he is somebody who is really, really funny. And that wit always comes through in his poetry. Um, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily comedic verse, but it's mm-hmm. somebody who has got a keen eye on the world and on humanity and just has a really unique take on that. And that is for, that comes through in various ways. Um, he's known for playing around with language. He is fluent in Gaelic, he's fluent in Irish, and he's obviously fluent in English probably speaks other languages too, because he's definitely a polyglot polymath. Um, and it's in this blending of languages. Um, with the Gaelic, he's, and Irish is known for blending these two languages together to create right. what he calls a, a lingua gadelica, which is kind of like a, 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 a Gaelic lingua franca, as it were, combining elements of both languages. And in the English, his approach to translation is really, really radical, which I think could be most interesting for your English-speaking uh, listeners, in that he, he, with certain words, he combines various definitions, various translations of the same word together, lumps them together in the translation, so you get this, there's notions of concretism in there, but also just this blending of language which comes through, which just makes it an even more richer reading experience, mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, Ruddy is somebody who is inspired very much by Eastern philosophies. He um, particularly is inspired by Basho and the haiku and the haibon. Right. Poetry there. And I think that that kind of Zen outlook that you see in the writing of Kevin McNeil as well mm -hmm. really does inform his relationship with landscape as well. And particularly um, a lot of the poems that come through in this um, lockdown cycle of poems you very much get a sense of naming the place, naming the topography, and then forming a personal relationship with that landscape, which um, has been a lovely thing. And I, I think that Roddy was always like that, but I do get the sense that lockdown, for him in particular, through this poetry, really did give him the opportunity perhaps to enrich that relationship, you know, between person, poet, language, community, and landscape. You know? Yeah, that's really interesting because um, I think that's happened almost across the arts, that that relationship, you know, it's coming out in music, it's, it's certainly coming out in, in other uh, forms of uh, literature, but I think that's, uh, that's, that's interesting to hear. Yeah, and I think obviously with it being in the Gaelic language, you know, we talk in a Scottish literary sense of this kind of renaissance of nature writing of this kind of, or it being reframed as eco-poetry or geopolitics yeah. and all of this, you know, it takes us down different kind of, different routes, um, engaging with the Anthropocene as well. Um, but I think for Gaelic, you know, we have always had this, mm -hmm. you know, going right back to our classical poetry, you know, it's in the poetry of Ulster, MacBride and Ulster and Dunlough Barn, it's in the it's in the the Barshog tradition there, the traditional poetry. It's in the song tradition. So this relationship between artist, poet, language, land, community, it has always been there in a way mm. that maybe it hasn't in English literature and Scots literature. Your viewers can uh, opine on that, I'm sure. Um, but for me, you know, when, I, I, in discussions of this, of this, of the growth of this, you know, genre within poetry. I would like to see Gaelic included, but, you know, whether we can frame it exactly as a renaissance or, or purely as a continuum remains mm. to be seen for me. Yeah, that sounds great. So what's the next one you wanted to talk about? So the next one um, is another um, an um, anthology. It's another large collection, and that is Cathriana uh, Murray, Cathriana Vodoch's um, edited volume, uh, a complete edited volume of the works of Murrahig MacFarlane, Murdoch MacFarlane, Barged Yalavost. Um, and that came out with Achka earlier this year. I was really fortunate to be um, around at the time it was launched at the Maud. Um, and this is, I think that this is a book that is going to have real impact on the community and it's going to be accessible to people that love poetry and from the literary side of things. It does come with translations of all the work as well. Um, some of which, uh, you know, translations that we haven't seen before, um, as well as being a compendium and a really useful volume for singers and musicians who want to engage with the work and reinterpreting the work, you know, in, in live performance and in recording as well, you know, and it really does, um, you know, in that way, it kind of links it in with the work of, you know, Marjorie Kennedy Fraser and um, Margaret Fayshaw and Francis Tolmey, you know, Kenna Campbell and Ainsley Hamill, their collection, their collection of Francis Tolmey's work is hotly anticipated as well. So I think that it's it, it's kind of catching us on to a wave of collecting this work, 
appraising it as poetry rightfully, but also um, framing it in a way that's accessible and useful to musicians and the tradition bearers that take the work forward. Um, so in that way, I think it's probably going to be a landmark volume for the literature. And that's interesting that the first two you've spoken about are both anthologies. Do you think there is a move to to do that with Gaelic poetry in particular? Um, we have seen quite a few anthologies coming through, and I know that there's a few more on the way as well. Mm. I think, you know, we have to view this through the lens of minoritisation and, you know, so archiving and collecting and preserving is an important part of of that work to make sure that that continuum is there. Um, and there is, with Acha in particular, who did publish this volume over the last few years, they've done a lot of great work collecting and publishing our traditional poets from mm -hmm. the islands um, into these volumes. Clangent Oenya was one example that did really well at the Gallic Literary Awards uh, the year before last, for example. Um, you know, there was a, a, an important volume of the work of Maestro Ellen from Eriske as well, these spiritual poems and hymns as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, we had to see it in the context of that. And a lot of these poets' work, you know, would perhaps perhaps have been disregarded in comparison to the likes of the Solly McLeans and the George Campbell Hayes and the Derek Thompsons that were writing at a similar point in history, you know, before yeah. or slightly after. Um you know, but this is, you know, the poetry of the of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, perhaps has been brought together and collected together for the first time. So I think that that's, it's really important. Um, these are really important volumes. Firstly, in that they um, present this traditional poetry on an equal footing um, with that, the contemporary verse, and, and they demonstrate that, you know, this is, this is worth reading it has its place within our literature. And it also just brings that work to a wider audience. So it's really good. Moderhead McFarlane isn't necessarily one that, he's one that kind of straddles both the con, the contemporary and the traditional as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he can also be seen in a contemporary music context as well, you know, with all the settings that were done by Nahawk and they, through the 60s and 70s, you know, they really championed his work and it was great to see Maida and Donnie um, involved in, in the launches of that book as well, you know, re really celebrating that link between poetry and music. And you mentioned uh, awards as well, uh, lit literary awards. Has that been something that's been important in kind of promoting uh, Gaelic literature in general? I think it has. I think that there is always room for improvement, you know, mm -hmm. and look into ways that Gaelic uh, literature is judged and included, you know. Um, I would say, you know, I was really fortunate that Polaris was picked up um, by the Saltair Awards. Um, the framework that they've got in particular is that it's read by a Gaelic literate panel, but then it's judged by an English literate panel. Um, and in some ways that's good, in other ways it's not. It would be good perhaps to see a Gaelic speaker, a Gaelic reader on that judging panel as opposed to just being the advisor, mm -hmm. because it does mean that in the second stage, you know, the work had to be judged solely on the basis of the translations alone. Yeah. It's difficult for me to comment on this without seeming ungrateful, because I'm not ungrateful. I no, no. See that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a lot of ways, the Saltair Society has a far better approach to this than other awards where you know it's 
an all English shortlist judged by an English speaking panel. The um, the Highland Book Award is, per, I think, perhaps the best model right. in that it is completely open to writing in all three literary languages of Scotland um, and speakers and readers of those languages feature on, on the judging panel. And so I would say linguistically that they are the most inclusive. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, in Scotland, there is still an extent of borrowing from UK models. Mm. Um, I'll draw attention to the Forward Prize, for example, which, you know, is exclusively an English language prize, English language shortlist, English language uh, monolingual um, judging panel, um, you know, so within a UK context, there is no space for any other um, languages of these islands to feature there. They're just one example. So um, what I would love to see going forward is that in Scotland, we create our own models based mm -hmm. on the Saltair Society and, the, and the, the Highland Book Prize. Yeah, and that sounds uh, really interesting and progressive uh, way of looking at it, I think. Mm -hmm. What's your next choice, Marcus? So I, the one that I really wanted to foreground was this one, and I've got it here, Manahan Nakaiki by um, Lisa Nikai, Lisa McDonald. This is, from what I understand, her first collection, although Lisa has written for a number of years. Um, and she's somebody who has um, had a lot of success at the literature competitions of the Royal National Mod, which mm -hmm. for us within the community is really important because um, it's Gaelic literature judged by Gaelic speakers without um, having to think about translation. Although, you know, it's perhaps one that doesn't get the same national attention as some of the other prizes. It would be good if the press could pick up on it more, perhaps. Um, again, in a lot of ways, uh, there's an a introspection and retrospection with this. Um, Lisa went around the community in Koykoch, where she lives, talking to people, recording testimony, looking at historical texts, specifically about women's history and women's role in Gaelic society and Scottish society, and then came up with this cycle of poems, and each one is just titled with the woman's name, first name, and age. Um, and some of the imagery here is, is really, really beautiful, but as kind of like a concept collection, it includes some beautiful photography as well that really works beautifully with the, with the writing and evokes the region. Um, and there are nature plays heavily here. So again, in the, like the poetry of Roger Gorman, you know, there is celebrating that connection between women, poet, language, and community and landscape. So again, I could see Roddy's influence actually on this poetry. I don't know mm -hmm. if Lisa would consider him to be an influence. I'd have to speak to her about that, but I definitely read that um, in this poetry. And it's just great to see another um, Gallic poet being collected in particular, you know, a woman poet as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we do at certain points and I benefit from this but we do see continuing through that it's the male poets that perhaps get the most attention and are booked most at festivals and are most widely anthologized you know mm -hmm. um, although we've had some really significant um, Sandy McDonald Jones for example was the crown bard prior to Roddy and you know so there are you know and Meg Bateman and Anna Freyta you know are still writing amazing work as well so it's just 
it's but nevertheless it's really good to see um a woman poet being supported in this way and coming up with amazing work um and it's great to know that we've supported her too through northwoods now as well um, mm -hmm. our um the publication that i edit with kenny taylor based up there in inverness so yeah i was really pleased to see this and, and this was actually it was probably my favorite this year and you mentioned uh, the kind of publishing side of things how is it in terms of getting published from Gaelic poets and other writers? It's challenging. Um, you know, there are perhaps five or six publications that um, say that they are open to publishing Gaelic work. Um, New Writing Scotland is one of them. Northwards Now is another one of them. Um, publications like Gutter maintain that they are open to Gaelic submissions but haven't published any Gaelic writing for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, that's another example where perhaps Gaelic editorial could be enhanced um, with what they're doing. Um, so it's a limited pool and um, it remains to be seen whether the infrastructure we've got is enough to see emergence and uh, those that are mid-career getting this work in print and in front of um, readerships before it goes on to be published um, or collected and, and published by, you know, in in, in volumes, in collections. You yeah. Know, because it's an important step, you know, and with if we have a break in that chain, then it makes it difficult, more difficult for these poets to get their work in, in print. Um, in terms of the number of publishers um, that are working with Gaelic literature, we have seen slight growth mm -hmm. in that, thanks to a lot of great networking and support from the Gaelic Books Council. And also, you know, publishers like Leamington Books, for example, but there are others, you know, taking the initiative and engaging with the literature. Um, and that, personally, I'm really glad to work with Leamington. I'm going to be working with Drunk Muse Press as well um, with it. So that's just two examples, you know, based on my personal experience there. So we are seeing some publishers coming into the fold, um, but still, you know, we are still in a situation where, firstly, poetry, poets can't be, uh, well, there's one agency that will represent poets now in Portobello, which is fantastic to see. In general, Jenny Browns and, and, and the big agencies will not, will not um, promote poets, and they will not engage with Gaelic writers unless mm. they work in English as well. Um, so, and as far as I know, there is only one Gaelic writer who is represented by an agency in Scotland, and that is on the basis of their work in English. Right. So that's a problem. And that means that it is extremely challenging for Gaelic writers to get their work in print with the big publishing houses, Berlin's, the Canon Gates, mm -hmm. you know, these national publishers because the infrastructure is stacked against Gaelic writers um, in a very serious way. And um, I would really, really love to see Creative Scotland. They did a fantastic scheme that sought to um, engage writers with protected characteristics from protected groups to engage them with literary agency. Um, so that was great, you know, to open the door to rights of colour, LGBT writers and that. Mm -hmm. They didn't include Gaelic. And for me, given what I've said, Gaelic is actually the demographic that really needs to break through. Mm -hmm. with the new agency. So that's an issue. 
Um, and as an aside, you know, I did pitch an idea for an anthology of uh, 21st century Gallic verse to one of the big uh, poetry, um, one of the big publishers mm -hmm. who do work extensively with poetry. And the response was, this this book isn't commercial enough, isn't marketable enough for us to work with it. So um, despite the fact that, that that publisher can probably quite easily get financial support from the Gallic Books Council. So that is a serious problem. Mm. Uh, and uh, that does mean that anthologies such as Katrina's uh, there have to go to Acha, um, which is our main publishing house up mm -hmm. there in Lewis. But also it was great to see Francis Buchel based in London working with um, Roddy and they previously published the, an Orlathage um, retrospective anthology from Wilson McLeod and Michael Newton. So it was great to see Clive based in London supporting minority language literature. So there are other avenues, but they are generally independent avenues, right. um, which will always impact the success and uh, the ability for these writers, these editors, and these books to be promoted on a national and uh, international platform. So there's some movement, an improvement, but nowhere near enough as yet, a long way to go. Yeah, I would say so. But, mm. you know, I remain positive, you know, and these small steps do, you know, they do accumulate, and mm. we are getting there. There have been some sparks on, in the firmament, you know, there are some glimmers of hope for this. Well, I think personally that the, the the critical reaction to Polaris was a real, for me, it was a big step forward because people really did engage with it, you know, and it wasn't just, you had all the other languages involved as we spoke about on a previous podcast. That, for some people, might seem overwhelming, but people really have engaged with it. Yeah, they have, and I think that it was the come all ye element of it, you know, that there's yeah. a place for everybody that meant that everybody, or a lot of people at least, could see themselves in, if not in the poetry, in the in the format, you know, yeah. um, and that was, it was something that we had kind of a, a notion of when we were pitching it and, and bringing it together, but um, it was something that only kind of became clear when it, when it was in print and when we were getting those responses. Um, you know, and thanks in particular to Stuart Kelly of The Scotsman, who reviewed it really well. In the context of what was happening in, in English and Scots that year in, in Scottish poetry, that was a really significant thing for us. And, mm -hmm. you know, everybody who is engaging with it, whether it's in smaller press, uh, you know, smaller newspapers or online, or even in the Amazon <laughs> reviews, mm -hmm. you know, or on Goodreads, you know, it's it's really appreciated. So thank you. And what are you looking forward to in the coming year? Is there anything that's got you excited or even that you're doing yourself? So uh, at the moment, I'm, <laughs> I am writing, but it's all applications and <laughs> funding applications at the moment and pitches. I have got um, an idea for a follow-up to Polaris, which will probably be realistically, um, will be a two-year project all in. Um, but that's, uh, I'm really looking, looking forward to getting my teeth into that. Um, as you'll know, and as those listening might know, I'm involved in film poetry a lot. So the next step for the poems there is to kind of reinvent selected ones as film poems. And so I'm hoping that I'll uh, get some institutional support from that. If I don't, I'll just 
get on with it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to take the album Spectrum on tour, um, but the one of the funding applications there wasn't successful. So we're just looking to ways that we can hopefully um, bring that around and, uh, yeah, not being defeated and just getting on with it. <laughs> Good man. Fantastic. Marcus, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to me. I'm really glad that we, we managed to do this. No, thank you for having me and thank you for including Gallic Literature. It means an awful lot to us. And we'll be back soon with, I think, the best music of 2022. So I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.